This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Gates McFadden, who you might know as Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. She's also the host of a new podcast, Gates McFadden Investigates, Who Do You Think You Are? And now, here's our first letter. I'm wondering if I could ask you to read our first question. Sure. Moving on. My wife died when our daughter was 12. She took it hard. Despite grief counseling, she never seemed able to cope with anyone else trying to move on. Her older brother sold my wife's old car and she lost it, even though it was decades old and breaking down. She was upset when we had to get rid of some of the old furniture that had been ruined in a flood. I cautiously started to date again during her college years, and she was standoffish but civil to any woman I introduced. Now I'm engaged to a woman with 11-year-old twins. They moved in during quarantine, and we had the house remodeled. My sons took it well. Their sister did not. She directed her ire towards my fiancé. Her childhood room had been divided so the twins could get a bathroom, and she lost it, screaming and using vile language to describe my fiancé and her children. I demanded my daughter apologize. She said that this was her home, and that bitch ruined it. I said I loved her, but that she needed professional help, and she stormed out. Now she isn't speaking to me, even though I've tried to call and email her. My fiancé is shaken, and my sons worry the estrangement may be permanent. I love my daughter, but she is 24, and I don't know if there's anything else I can do to help her. Gosh, I'm not sure that I know anything myself. I, I was sort of struck by two things in this letter, one of which was just this is incredibly sad. Um, and the other was just, I was really impressed with this letter writer for um, staying as kind of calm in the moment as he did. I often hear from people who have been really intensely provoked by a relative and end up responding very much in kind. And so given the sort of level of provocation here, I, I'm really glad that the letter writer was able to sort of confine himself to just saying, you can't talk to her like that. You need to leave. I love you. Yeah, I think it's really good that he stood up for his fiance and her kids and said, that's that's not appropriate. You can't do that. And it's important that he said, I love you. I'm not sure I go with when he says, I, I don't think there's anything I can do to help her. Mm-hmm. I say, you can always find other things to help people. And the biggest way is to continue to love her and embrace her as much as you can possibly do even if she's not ready to be able to accept the love, you can always still not close off yourself. And that's, mm. that's easier said than done. I'm very um, amazed that he was strong enough to, to say, no, I needed to move on, you know, and it's taken time. It's not like she was suddenly 14 or 15. Quite a right. bit of time has passed, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, she's 24. I, I was living in my own place. I didn't want to live at home, <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I I took that moment to mean not necessarily that she was going to be moving back in so much as she just felt like that will always be my childhood bedroom and it needs to stay that way forever. Um, but her childhood bedroom changed when her mother died. 
And so it's never going to be the same. That Mm. was the big remodel. The big remodel is the person who made you feel the most special in the world, which is, of course, a wonderful thing. it's It's a really difficult thing, I think, to get to the point where you can trust that all the love that was given to you by a loving parent, that even when they've passed, it's in you. It Mm. is part of you. That love you are carrying, and it might be more difficult to access because it's not going to be, you know, somebody that you can call and they can just quickly talk you down, but you have to reach deep and go, that's in me. I, I, I am loved. I was loved that much. And what would her mother want? Would her mother not want her to go forward in her life? Yeah. I, I think that's really, really helpful and powerful. I think especially for this letter writer who says, you know, I've been trying to call an email and she's not picking up. Um, I, I love so much that image of sort of not exactly putting those feelings on hold, but thinking of I am setting aside attention, care, and love that she's not currently ready to receive from me. And I want to consider the long game here. I want, you know, I want to have a relationship with my daughter for our whole lives. Right. And when enough time has passed that she's been able to settle down a little bit and might be ready to revisit this conversation, I'll be able to have this sort of investment off to the side that I've been tending of readiness, of patience, of affection and tenderness. Um, and that will be the day that I call up on those reserves. And in the meantime, the greatest gift I might be able to give her is a little distance. That's true. I also, though, think, I mean, again, there's so many things we don't know about. Mm-hmm. We have one one side of a situation. It also could be that, you know, if, if her mother died when she was really young or or in that adolescent stage, which is so difficult, that was certainly the worst period of my life, that uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, oh my gosh, uh, oh, yeah. ninth grade, you know, 10th grade. But if maybe it's time for him not only to say, you need therapy. See, that's always hard to, if somebody hears, you just need, you need therapy. It's so judgmental. It mm-hmm. might be true, okay? But a person can't hear it when it's hurled that way. Yeah. And I've started to realize that if you say, let's do therapy, you and I, let's work on this. And maybe in therapy, I can tell you how I moved on, how I processed the grief. And maybe I didn't share that with you because you were too young. And maybe now I can share with you my loneliness, my feeling bereft and how, you know, whatever the story is. And perhaps she would feel more seen. And then you have this other person listening to the story. And it's different if a third person says, well, actually, you know, he is telling you that he loves you and he is saying this. That would be my only other thought. I think that's really useful, too, because, again, as you say, sometimes when people hear you need therapy, they feel fobbed off. They feel rightly or wrongly like what they're being told is, you can't talk to me about this anymore. I'm done. Right. I do think that right now, if she hasn't answered your latest emails or calls, to hold off a little while. But it's possible that in a few weeks or a month, you might be able to say something like, I still stand by, you know, I don't want you to speak to my fiance or her children like that, even if you're angry. But I do want to make room for the possibility that you know, there might be something that I missed when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was trying to help us all grieve together and also find ways to move ahead that I realized might have felt to you like I was saying, move on, buck up. Exactly. And so if you want to talk about that and you think you're able to do it without calling names, I want to be available for that conversation. I don't just want to shut you down. Um, 
that that might be something you can do again in a little while. And you don't have to let a writer, if you worry that saying that might, you know, make you feel like you were losing sort of the moral high ground in a fight or that it would mean that you were saying to your daughter, you're right and I'm wrong about everything. I don't think that's the case. I think that's the kind of graciousness and openness that will make it easier for your daughter to let go of some of her defensiveness if she realizes you're not resistant to hearing something. Again, that's not a guarantee that you'll be able to have the kind of conversation you hope for, but it may be that she will be able to say, yes, you know, what you felt like was necessary in those moments. Even if I understood it intellectually, I felt like you were just trying to get rid of her things. And I have come to feel like I'm sort of the only one who remembers her. And, you know, maybe saying that out loud, she'll be able to let some of that go, or maybe you'll be able to speak to it. There's another thought I just had, which is also, you know, I don't know what her relationship with her father was. You know, maybe she wants to be the important woman in his life. You know, there's also mm. that side. And I, I think it's very good that the letter writer did not put his fiance and start a new relationship in a claustrophobic former wife's house. But I think maybe that should be discussed, which is one of those things. If you want to, in some way, not literally be your father's wife <laughs> yourself, but if you want yeah. to be that woman in his life, right? The woman he turns to and who, who gives him the advice and all of that, which that also could be going on. I have no idea, but that's where it gets very tricky. And that's where I say going to therapy, just you and she could start the ball rolling and you, you might discover these sorts of patterns that you weren't aware of. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. One thing that I hadn't quite put together until you brought up the sort of gendered possibilities here is it sounds like your daughter only had brothers who were also a little bit older. Her mother died at a pretty formative time in a girl's life. And so part of what might have come up, perhaps really even unexpectedly for her, if she felt okay meeting previous women you had dated as long as she could keep some distance, was this sense of um, now not only are you being remarried, but it, I, I believe the 11-year-old twins are both twins girls. Twins are girls, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that there may have very well just been ways in which your daughter lost something unique to her relationship with her mother when she died. And she went from being one of two women in the family to the only one. And none of that, by the way, means it's okay for her to call your fiancé a bitch or to yell at those children. It, it didn't. It wouldn't make those things okay. I just wonder if opening up room for a conversation about some of those bigger things might enable her to put down some of her weapons and say, wow, I really am sorry that I said that. And now I can identify the things that I'm scared about. My, my last thought was, I do wonder, letter writer, you just say your sons took it well, their sister didn't. It almost sounds like in your letter, you didn't really talk about the remodeling or the engagement until you took your kids on a tour of the house. And that could have just been editing for time. But I do wonder... Uh, again, without saying, oh, if I didn't do this in all the right ways, I deserved what my my daughter yelled at me. I just mean, if the first time you told her I'm engaged and we've remodeled the house was when she was coming by and you were showing her the new stuff, that might be something you might want to reflect on and think in retrospect, if I had this to do over again, I would tell her about it sooner. I would tell her about it in private so she could have a reaction with just me before I put her in a group setting. Mm. But then, you know, there's something about the way a lot of kids today feel that they, they are living at home longer. Mm -hmm. So there's more of a feeling of ownership of their, their house and their home. And, and it's interesting because in my generation, I'm a lot older than you, but in my generation, 
you know, you moved out of the house. We were excited to do that, by the yeah. way. And uh, I mean, my first place I lived in, I had orange crates where my coffee tables and, you know, but it was ex- mattress on the floor. Loved it. It was my place, you know? Yeah. And I think when my mother remodeled my room for uh, a guest room, I mean, I, I had no problem. I was like, oh, cool. You know, because I didn't feel like I was ever going back there to live. I did not want that. And even though I had massive nostalgia and and tears when we saw my both my parents died within a year of each other and they mm. you know I'm sorry. Well, thank you. It it was it was brutal because my brother and I were flying half the country to get back to Ohio. But it was brutal because we were saying goodbye to our childhood. That's why it was hard. It was not the house, it was our memories of the house and we as a family had built the house. But I never minded when my parents changed it. It was their house, you know? And I think there are more people who are staying longer in their parents' house. And so maybe this is a shift as well. But, you know, you have to make room for the for the future. I think we all do. And that's yeah. across the board. Yeah. I, I graduated in back in 09, right in the big crash. So I had to move in with my parents for about six months. And as kind as they were about it at the time. I, I could not wait to get out. Right. Um, and, you know, I lived in a studio underneath the overpass in San Jose and I was thrilled. You're uh, the was, same age as my son. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was very grateful for the chance to have somewhere to live for free for those six months. But yeah. man, oh man, as soon as I could get out of there, <laughs> I got out of there. Yeah. I was thinking a little bit about what you were saying earlier about, um, the the masks, the clowning, the the sense of sort of holding yourself back at the time because miming is not cool. Unicycles are not cool. Um, and I was thinking specifically, of, I, I did not do anything remotely like clowning when I was younger, but I did ride horses for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And the kind of women who teach horseback riding have always terrified me. They're the kind who always have like little cross stitches on their pillows of like, I can only please one person per day. Today is not your day. Tomorrow's not looking good either. And are just serious women with a gimlet eye. And I was just terrified. And they would like the one thing that they would always say is you ride like you're terrified of falling off. And you need to know Mm. if you keep coming back, you're going to fall. You need to get ready to fall. Um, And I just, my whole thing was like, of course, I'll do whatever you say because you terrify me. But that was the one piece of advice I couldn't internalize. I just thought in my head, like, you wait and see. I will be the one kid who goes their entire life without ever falling off a horse. I may end up being very bad at riding horses, but I will never fall. That will be my one thing. And I was, you know, I was able to like clutch on the saddle and put it off for uh, six months longer. But of course I fell and I hated it. But it also, once it happened, it was just like, now I'm not terrified. But you see also, that's great. And also the whole key to the clown is the success of a clown is born in the failure. Mm. And if you cannot deal with the failure then you're not going to be able to laugh at yourself and you're not and if you can't laugh at yourself you're really not going to understand the whole concept of that kind of comedy because it is a very vulnerable and sometimes uncomfortable feeling but what happens is once you realize and and actually can feel and every time you go back to it it's just as terrifying as the first time but once you realize that the power is in your failure it's that when it's that moment when we identify with you because we've all been there where you don't your your whole trick 
you know, you've come out with your plate with eggs on it and you were going to spin the eggs and the eggs have all crashed on the floor before you even started your act. And you're there and it's like you're naked, you know. It's understanding what is your impulse. And, and having taught this for years, there are some people who literally disappear. They, they, they can't connect with the audience. They're just like they hide from us because they can't deal with it. Whereas if they, if they actually look you in the eye and, and we see your horror, we start to laugh. There are other people who get aggressive to the audience mm -hmm. because they want to take it out. They're angry, you know? I mean, everyone has their own way of doing it. And it's, to me, it's been my favorite thing teaching has been working with clown stuff because, or, or Greek tragedy. Those two things have really always been my favorites. They're very similar, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can believe that. I, it's so weird that this takes me back to the first letter that you and I tried to address today. But I think if there is any consolation or freedom that I might want to offer them, it is that sense of, well, in some ways, the worst has happened. You know, this this thing that you were able to sort of keep at bay for a while by being standoffish but civil on the subject of your dating. Now your daughter has stood in your house and called your new stepchildren, you know, sons of bitches. So you dropped the eggs. The right. worst has come to pass. She screamed at you and stormed out of the house. It got as bad as it's going to get, which is not to say you couldn't still end up hurting each other. But there's at least that sort of relief of we pulled off the Band-Aid. The bad thing happened. We had it out. Now we don't have to tiptoe around it saying like, oh, we better not go there. We went there. It happened. At least now we can try to say, God, that went terribly, didn't it? How do we pick up the eggshells? Yeah. And it's, and it's also not okay. You know, it's not okay in that situation because you're not in a theatrical setting where you're trying to, where the point is to get the laugh, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean right. that's a, you're trying to uh, come together. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up, to subscribe, or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>